Rogers Arena, calling Canucks games. It is Brendan Bachelor, Bachelor, Bachelor. 803 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. As the music suggests, Brendan Batchelor is going to join us in just a moment here to kick off hour three. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech. To the phone lines we go. No, no, no. To the dispatch plumbing, heating, and air conditioning hotline we go. That's right, friend. We are going to the hotline to speak to Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Batch? Good morning. How's it going, guys? Uh, we're well. I hope you're doing well as well. I don't know if you were listening to the show. I trust everybody is. But in case you weren't, uh, we were talking about Ian McIntyre's latest piece for Sportsnet.ca. It's up now. The headline is, with new identity under Talkit, nothing feels impossible for the car. So, Batch, I know you're a consummate professional. I know objectivity is key. But do you ever allow yourself to dream and wonder, what if? What if this is the year? What if? What we're seeing is real with these Vancouver Canucks? Yeah, absolutely. And I think only more so recently when it's it's been clear that, you know, it wasn't just a strong start or a good 20-game stretch or 30-game stretch or anything like that, that now you're at the All-Star break. They're tied for first in the league. They're tops in the conference. The Edmonton Oilers have gone on this historic winning streak and yet haven't actually made up that much ground on the Canucks because, of course, the Canucks – have points in their last 11 games, you know, to their own credit. And you start to think about that. You start to look forward and, and look at what this team might look like in a playoff series or or how they might match up against some of the other top teams in the West. And based on the way they've played for most of this year, you can, you know, find a path or at least convince yourself of their ability to compete with any team in the league. And, and whenever you have that, you've got a chance. Now, lots of things have to go right for you. You have to stay healthy. You have to, to get bounces that go your way in key moments. And, and we'll see how that sort of unfolds down the stretch here after the all-star break and then into the postseason. But, you know, absolutely. You have to look at this team and say that they have the best chance to contend for a Stanley cup of any Canucks team in the last decade, if not longer than that. Is it, <laughs> Is it just too crazy to imagine that they could actually do it, though? Yeah. I mean, as someone that's followed this team my whole life and, and has seen you know, them, them fall short multiple times in a variety of different ways, there is always that thinking about it that, you know, how, how is it going to go wrong or where is this run going to end or, you know, when, when is the winning going to dry up and when are they going to struggle but at the same time you know in theory it's got to happen sometime right so you know this group should be looking at the way they played this year and the position they put themselves in and say why not us and and why not now and I think it's going to be really interesting to see what they do prior to the trade deadline to complement this team Um, but they've got a chance and that's not something I ever would have expected to be saying 
you know, six months ago, let alone, you know, this time last year when they were trading Bo Horvat at, at the all-star break. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I guess we'll wait and see. And, you know, the, the odds are that this isn't the year just because it's so hard to win a Stanley cup. And there's so many things that can go wrong. And, and, you know, kind of as, as Jim Rutherford alluded to at the start of the year, when talking about making the playoffs, everything needs to go right. Well, everything needs to go right for you to have a chance to win a Stanley cup too. So uh, they've been a, a very fortunate team this year for the most part with injuries on top of the fact that they've played some tremendous hockey and they'll need that good fortune to continue to carry with them here the rest of the way. What kind of player do you think is going to play best with Elias Pettersson if they are indeed chasing a player to play with him? Yeah, talk it talks a lot about north-south guys and and straight ahead players to complement star players and and you know I've talked to him about this on a, a few occasions and he kind of alludes to you know having played with guys like Mario Lemieux and Yaramir Yager. And they liked predictable players who could get up and down the ice, who they could find in in moments where they're trying to set someone up, and then conversely, who you know were were capable of finding them in in key scoring areas. And um, you know, so so I do wonder. Like, that's the thing. First of all, is are they targeting a player to play with Elias Pettersson, or are they targeting a player that can anchor their second line so they can go back to the lotto line? Mm-hmm. And I think based on who they acquire, we'll get the answer to that question. Like if they target someone that can play the middle, then maybe they're thinking that Patterson fits better on the lotto line. Or if they target someone like Jake Gensel on the wing, then maybe they're thinking that he can be the kind of guy that compliments Patterson. Um, but I think the thing that's clear is that Patterson needs better quality on his wings if he's going to center his own line. And, you know, Andre Kuzmenko has had a tough year. Ilya Mikheyev, I think, is a good player that could fit on a line with Pedersen, but as that third piece, not as the tandem that you're relying on. And so if they are indeed targeting um, someone to play with Pedersen, then you're looking at a winger that could score, that can get in on the forecheck and retrieve pucks, that is maybe a little bit more aggressive physically and is capable of finding Pedersen in some of those soft scoring areas so that he could put the puck in the net. I wonder if they're kind of agnostic about either as long as they land an impact player. Do you know what I mean? Like if Gensel's the guy, then all right, he can play with Petey. If Lindholm's the guy, then okay, you put the lotto line together. I wonder if they actually have a a strong feeling about one or the other, just that the player that they land makes an impact. Yeah, and Lindholm's a fascinating one to me because he could be either, because he can play center, he can play the wing, so you could even put him with Miller and Besser if you wanted to, uh, or you could put Pedersen there and put Lindholm down the middle. Um, so, you know, there's there's options there. I think Lindholm is a, a power play player that could complement um, the top unit, not that Gensel isn't. He certainly would be a breath of fresh air on the man advantage for them as well. But I agree, and I think any time Rutherford has been asked about it or spoken about it, he hasn't said we need a winger for Pedersen or he hasn't said we need a centerman. He said we need a top six forward. And it may just come down to, you know, what is the more realistic trade target on the market when they get the opportunity to make a move. Like if you're going to have to pay a premium for a center and a winger is going to be more affordable, 
then maybe it makes more sense to bring in the winger. Conversely, if you know, it, it makes sense to, to bring in a centerman. And I think one of the under-discussed things about Lindholm and, and not to go sort of negative Vancouver media in analyzing it this way. But I know where you're going with this, by the way, and I'm super excited because I was going to ask you about it. So go. Lindholm, to me, he's a pending UFA, obviously, but he's a center iceman. And I do wonder if in the event that Elias Patterson is not going to stay here long-term, extending Lindholm is a way to kind of cover up for that loss to a certain extent. Look, you're not going to replace Elias Patterson if that happens, but Lindholm is a legitimate top six NHL centerman that if for whatever reason, and again, this is pure speculation because Patterson has not made it clear to basically anyone what his plans are going forward. But I'm just saying that short-term Lindholm helps you, and then in the long term, he could help you too if you have to withstand the loss of one of your star players. See, I heard you talk about this with Drance on Canucks Talk. I think it was last week, and I I raised an eyebrow. I'm like, oh, that's a really interesting sort of like moving pieces on the chessboard, you know, looking ahead two or three steps down the road and having a contingency plan, and I could hear Drance. I could see – you could actually envision – the sort of like gears working in his head. He's like, ah, oh, interesting. And there is some. They better not give. Uh, I mean, if they do something like that, there's a lot of people saying that Lindholm, and this is last year, was going to get the Bo Horvat contract. Well, Bo Horvat had an incredible contract year. Lindholm is not having an incredible contract year. I wonder how. I honestly wonder how much money he's costing himself with the season that he's having. Yeah, let's not go too like, far down. He, let's I, not go I too wonder, far down the road and start tabling an extension for the guy, considering he has not been moved. But no, but just <laughs> as a, conceptually, <laughs> conceptually, I like it because it kind of shows a versatility within your plan, where it's like, okay, if things don't work out. Are you able to maneuver? Are you able to pivot? Are there like, options? Like when B, the fl- like, like when the Flames pivoted and signed Johnny or, or John, John Huber or Huberto uh, and and Kadri, and that's worked out terrific, right? Exactly. You need had, options. Yeah, had to say, yeah, they had to save the day. The roadmap doesn't just go in one direction, Jason. You need a lot of different mm, options. Yeah, that's worked out really well. Well, and and one thing about this too, and I think I said this with Drance when we were talking about it, is. I'm thinking this way, but I don't think the Canucks management group should be. I think their primary focus at the deadline should be targeting a player that gives this team the best chance to win now because this might be this core group's best chance to win when you look at, you know, potential Pedersen extension, Heronic extension, more OEL buyout cap hit going forward the number of UFAs they have down their lineup that they may not be able to bring back like Joshua and Bluger and Ian Cole. And we've talked about these guys in the past. So as much as like, you know, I guess maybe it's a typical Vancouver thing, like you're ready to get hurt. So you're trying to build in contingencies for the team to, to overcome something like the loss of Pedersen at the same time, this management group should be focusing on acquiring the player that they think is the best fit to help this team win this year, I if, think, anyway. Batch, if you could power rank all the reasons why the Canucks have been able to turn around this season, maybe it's the coaching staff, maybe it's Quinn Hughes taking his game to a whole new level, maybe it's Thatcher Demko rediscovering his game or structure or... Because for, for me, like if at the top of the list for me, it's the bottom six, like yeah, and 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 how they've changed the dynamic from the Canucks that you don't have to hide 
your bottom six, you actually want to, in some ways, like accentuate it. And that, especially that Garland line with Bluger and Joshua, I think for me, I'm not discounting any of the other reasons. I mean, I do think the coaching staff has done an incredible job, and I do think Quinn Hughes has taken his game to another level. There's a lot of things that have played into it. But for me, I think it might be the bottom six improvement. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've talked for many years in this market about them needing a third line center. And Teddy Bluger has come in and been that and more. And that line has been basically a second line for this team, even though they're slotted in as the third line, because the second line is the line that we're talking about them needing to improve or upgrade at the trade deadline that, you know, hasn't been the the difference maker that you might have hoped. Whereas that third line certainly has. And, you know, looking forward to where this team is is heading into the postseason, you know, having a bottom six that can contribute offensively and be trusted by the head coach the way that, you know, the bottom two lines, not just the Bluger line, but, you know, the, the line with Hoaglander and, and Lafferty on it as well, you know, how much that he, re- he trusts them and relies on them and how all those guys are basically having career years offensively that gives you confidence with this team going into a playoff series because you know other teams are going to have star players no matter who you face whether it's Edmonton whether it's Vegas you know whoever they might end up getting in the postseason but oftentimes it's who has the greater depth who has guys that can contribute offensively down their lineup that has a chance to win the series and you know, the Oilers are obviously on an incredible heater right now, but let's use them as an example. If your top players can limit McDavid and Dreisaitl to some extent or match them in terms of offensive production, then I like the way the Canucks look in a playoff series against an Oilers team like that. You know, first of all, because you'll take the edge in goaltending, but maybe most importantly, because you trust your depth players more than, than I think the Oilers probably would, and you can get more out of guys that are playing further down your lineup than, than many other teams could. So, you know, that's going to be a fascinating thing to watch for me going forward is whether that bottom six could be a game changer for this team once they get into the postseason, because if it can be, and if Tockett continues to trust those lines to play in key situations and they continue to produce with, you know, not necessarily the most ice time. Like I think Connor Garland's still averaging under 14 minutes a night. We know Niels Hoaglander and that fourth line don't get big minutes, but they've been producing offensively when given the opportunity. If they can carry that into the playoffs, then you start to look at this and say, okay, they, they could be a really tough out for any team that they face in the postseason. Batch, this was great, bud. Thanks for taking the time to do this as always. Enjoy the week off and uh, enjoy when you get back into action calling games next week. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. That's Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks right here on Sportsnet 650. You're also listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So when I talk about the bottom six and how good they've been this season and how, for me, they're probably the biggest reason for the turnaround, not that I'm saying that there aren't other reasons. There have been multiple reasons. But if we're doing the power rankings game, I would put that at the top. It makes me wonder about what the team looks like next season. Teddy Bluger and Dakota Joshua are pending UFAs. Connor Garland, in theory, could still be dealt for cap space if the Canucks need that. Sam Lafferty, 
he's a pending UFA. You know, so the team, the team may not look the same next season. In fact, Patrick Alvin said it's going to change. And that's where you hope that some of the players down in the AHL are ready to come up and fill those roles. You know, for example, I've, I've, I've said, you know, if you can't afford to keep Dakota Joshua, could Pod Colson play that role? Now, I think it's dangerous to try and slot guys in and just be like, do exactly what this guy did because they're different players. But it's also why a lot of people are looking at the team right now and going, you know, this is the opportunity. It's not, it, it, it may not go linear progression like you expect a team to go. In fact, there might be a step back next season. For example, you look at New Jersey and yeah, they've had injuries and that's one of the main concerns. But I remember talking to Wish about the Devils and he's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to survive some of the losses of a couple of their defensemen, Mm -hmm. right? Like who was it? Uh, Severson left uh, and there was one other guy. uh, I can't remember what his name is. Tough, tough customer on defense though. Graves? Is that a guy? Ryan Graves. Ryan Graves, right? They they, they don't have him anymore. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's players like that where you don't think a whole lot about it and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you could replace those guys. But until you actually have replaced them, mm-hmm. you know, I always think about the loss of Christian Erhoff after 2011. People are like, oh, they'll be able to replace him. I'm like, hmm. They never looked quite as dynamic on the back end after they lost Airhoff for what he brought to the table for them. Yeah, I mean that. Well, that's the modern NHL, right? Is the way that the league works under the current collective bargaining agreement and a salary cap that just ain't raising enough for everyone's liking. Is you, I mean, I and it's you now. I think the Toronto Maple Leafs have overdone it, but it's the Maple Leafs model. It's you pay your stars. And then you do the recycling program with your garbage. I'm not calling the bottom six garbage, but that's what it is in this analogy because it's a recycling program. The moment that you become enamored and overpay a bottom six guy is the moment they stop becoming valuable for you. They're not garbage. They're recycling. They're recycling. But also you have to have a system in place or the pro scouting in place or preferably both that you are able to replace those players. Like Mm -hmm. when Jim Rutherford was in Pittsburgh – he was great at filling out spots. He had, he built a whole third line through trades, and that became a major factor in them winning the Stanley Cup. Now, when that team became started to become, you know, what was it? What that happened? Like, didn't Nashville target Benino? Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, you can be the two C for us. And I was like, no, he can't. They be. gave him, a but they gave him a lot of money, it. right? And then it became more difficult for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And by the time that Rutherford had left the Pittsburgh organization, there were similar concerns to the ones that were there when he came. And and if you remember the Penguins, they did win the Stanley Cup early in Sid's year. And then they went a bunch of years of underachieving. Mm-hmm. And that was because everyone was like, okay, Sid and Gino, you do it. Go for it. Do I have any help? No. And it's, it's so like here's the thing is that the the key isn't to uh, pay Dakota Joshua more money, sadly, because he deserves it and he earns it, and people have become enamored with his play. You'd like to keep him around, but unfortunately, the system is almost rigged against uh, the team 
that uh, discovers and nurtures and grows a player like that, they're not the team that uh, is the one that's going to pay him. Ideally, the team that pays for Dakota Joshua, let's say that someone signs him to a... The team that pays for Dakota Joshua is the Canucks of four or five years ago. And that's probably the team that's not going to get the big returns out of him. Yeah. The team that's getting the big returns out of him is, like the, is the Vancouver G- Canucks right now. Giving Jay Beagle a $12 million deal. We've learned the hard way <laughs> how this isn't supposed to work. The idea is you find the next one. I mean, God, we had that conversation a million times. It's like, don't go out and buy Jay Beagle. Go and find the guy that's going to be Jay Beagle. Let someone else be the team that pays him for whatever it was that he brought to the table, or whatever it is you thought that he was going to bring to the table. And so this conversation, now it doesn't apply to Suter because they managed to get Suter with some term, but it applies to Bluger and it applies to Joshua and it applies to Lafferty. You need to find those guys year over year or the other thing that you've been talking about, have them come up through your system. Right, and that's where it has to be both. It has to be good pro yep. scouting, finding bargains, but yep. also developing your own players. Well, and that's where I get to the the whole like pivoting off plan A to plan B to plan C. Like what, this exercise thought process that Batch did with Lindholm. Mm-hmm. Someone texted in, it's like, why would you want to attach yourself to Lindholm? And I'm like, because it's an emergency plan. It's not a good plan. No one likes it, but you need to have a plan. You can't have a Manila envelope that says "open in case of emergency," and then when you open it, it says. You need a plan. Like there actually has to be something tangible in there. But I do wonder what Lindholm will get, because there was talk that he was going to get the Horvat contract, and that's what well, they were discussing. He has nine in goals in forty nine games, so I don't think he's getting that right now. Yeah, I mean, and and fair enough. I mean, the one thing I'll say about Horvat is last year and this year, offensive production has been really good. Like I don't know how close you paid attention to his numbers on the island this year, but. He's been very productive. Mm-hmm. He's scored a lot of points. He's producing at a level where you're like, okay, at least right now, uh, it doesn't seem like that bad of a contract. Lindholm's not even doing that. He's ha- he's somehow parlayed the worst offensive year in his recent career into an all-star game appearance and potentially a payday at the end of it. Although I don't think he'll get the Horvat contract, but who knows? All it takes is one team to pay. All it takes is one. Okay, Uh, we're going to go to break. We're going to come back. We're going to do some what we learns from our side of the table. We are also going to do uh, the humanoid what we learns as well. And before we do anything, uh, before we go to break, I need to tell you that you can reserve your spot for the big football party at the Clayton Public House hosted by Sportsnet 650. You can visit them online at theclaytonpub.com. The Clayton Public House, good food, good people, good times. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. 8.32 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. It is what we learn time. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. 
Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. Got some what we learned from our side of the table. In fact, I think everybody's got one today, so we're going to have to go fast. We're going to start with A-Dog because A-Dog's got a hockey one today, which is great. So A-Dog, why don't you start with what we learned. Ready, set, go. Actually, I'm going to call an audible. I just found out some very exciting news. Uh, the McRib is launching today at McDonald's across British Columbia. Again with the McRibs. Yep. Select select stores. They're not all going to have them, so you might have to do a bit of hunting. But the are McRib is back. McDonald's. Are you one? Are you one of the lucky ones that has the McRib? Yeah, I'm. I'm crusty at the offshore oil rig this morning. Like, okay. Oh, I want 600 McRibs. I've never had a McRib. Are Hon- they any good? Honest. Well, here's the thing. Uh, they'll change your life in many ways. I'm not sure if better or not, but they are an experience that everyone must try once because there's nothing quite like them. How are in, you? How in, are we in, to find in, it? In, in what, I'm not going to expand on this further. <laughs> in what way? You know what? It's just it's a spiritual thing. I think you just got to try one. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, how, I will I'm kind of scared one. to try one. How do yeah. you? How does afraid. one Embrace go about it. finding one if it's only at select McDonald's? You walk in and ask, "Do you have a McRib?" That seems like a and really, the really sign up front. Will yeah, they'll probably McRib be is here. Front. There might be a giant inflatable McRib with legs mm-hmm. bouncing around. What? Maybe Grimace will be there. <laughs> the used car lot, or it's like the big arm <laughs> McRib just waving back and <laughs> yeah. forth. Okay. Children crying. <laughs> uh, that's tremendous that you've now delivered not one but two McRib updates in the span of seven. Well, days. I'm giving the listeners what they want. So you are. So is McDonald's apparently. Okay, moo cow that. <laughs> moo cow that pork product. I've, uh, I've got a sports one, so I'll do. I'll go. I'll Jason Bruff right with what yeah. we learned. So ESPN just released its rankings of the top. 50 free agents in the NFL. Okay. Um, Only two quarterbacks made the list. Kirk Cousins at number three. Coming off a gigantic injury. And Baker Mayfield at number 13. Let's say the Seahawks cut ties with Geno Smith and they didn't draft a quarterback that was ready to play in the NFL and they didn't want to play Drew Locke either. And you could only choose between, for next season, the Seahawks having Kirk Cousins or Baker Mayfield. Who, Mr. Tampa Bay Buccaneers superfan, would you choose? If I had to choose between one of the two? If you had to choose for the Seahawks for next season. And there's no third option. There's no like, third We'll option. just run the wishbone all year like Army or Navy. Like We won't use a quarterback. This, I can't do that. No. This, these are, this, no, for starting quarterback. This for your starting quarterback. But those, but those are my only two choices. Those are your only two choices. Okay. I would take Baker Mayfield because he's not coming off a massive injury. Mm-hmm. And he's younger, marginally. Yeah, he's twenty nine now. I say I this with no. I say this that. with no joy, right? I don't. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what to say. I don't want either so of them. So Kirk Cousins tore his right Achilles in in week eight. Yeah, and he's thirty five. 36 now. Yeah. So, like, I'm not 100% certain that he's going to be back to what he was before. And I'm not, wasn't even that enamored with what he was before. He was a fine quarterback. Sounds like he's going to Atlanta anyway. Yeah. And it's, I, I would, I mean, Mayfield sounds like it's going to go back to Tampa Bay. I might, that I know, makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, they, they had a good thing there, right? <laughs> uh, anyway, By the way, that no, one, no. That, that one Tampa Bay guy, um, he's on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Randy Red Sox, which I don't oh, know. How, you. I don't know how that's affiliated with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in any way, shape, or form. But I mm-hmm. digress. It slowly descended into madness <laughs> because <laughs> I replied to him once, 
And then I just stopped replying to him. And now it's like it's just gone more and more like name calling and like, why aren't you replying? It's like, call me back just to chat. I'm Stan, that kind of thing. It's not been great. <laughs> Randy, if you're listening, you know, we're not going to do this anymore. Okay. Baker Mayfield's good. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are great. And you and I are good forever. <laughs> End of sentence. Moo cow. By the no, hold on a second. Oh, we're not moo counting yet. Number one on the list overall, by the way, is Chris Jones, defensive tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs. He'll be playing in the Super Bowl. That's right. Yeah. Because right. the, the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. You know who might not be playing in the Super Bowl, though, is his teammate, Kadarius Toney. Moo cow that. Oh, my God. So this is a weird that, that, story. That was that was quite a story. Did you actually read to the? Did you actually listen to the audio? I, I, I was, didn't listen to the Kadarius Tony Instagram live. I, I was gonna I was <laughs> I was gonna make Laddie bleep it, and it would have just been like one long bleep. My whole morning would have been yeah. Sitting so, there editing this clip. <laughs> in case you're wondering, hey, what happened to Kadarius Tony? Remember him? Uh, last year was actually a productive member of society in the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, played a key role in their Super Bowl victory. This year, uh, he's played a key role in making everything bad at the wide receiver position. So in week 15, the Kansas City Chiefs were like, you're dropping a lot of passes, and now you're actually batting them into the hands of the opposition. What if you had a hip injury? <laughs> like, I don't have a hip injury. Kadarius Tony then. Why are you holding that baseball bat? Yeah. Kadarius yeah. <laughs> Tony said, I'm not hurt. Recently on Instagram Live, because he hasn't played since week 15. He didn't play in the AFC Championship. Uh, he said, I'm not hurt. None of that. And then he had a, a bunch of swears as well. I like how Andy Reid was like, Kadarius is uh, going through some stuff. He said right he's now. working through some things. <laughs> okay. uh, he also said that they expect him to j- rejoin the team ahead of the Super Bowl and practice with him, but no indication as to whether or not Kadarius Tony will play. Now, the, the, they're going to be like, Kadarius, you know the uh, Super Bowl this year is in Berlin. That's right. You want to get there early? <laughs> You can hop on a plane now. Uh, now, all joking aside, there is a pretty big issue where teams and coaches can be fined by the NFL for issuing inaccurate or misleading injury reports. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the things that former Falcons head coach Arthur Smith did before he got fired was get fined $25,000 for failing to disclose that Bijan Robinson was dealing with an illness that actually held him out of a game. So you can't lie on the injury reports, and if you do... You get fined, but I think the Chiefs might be willing to take that fine so Kadarius Tony doesn't ruin the Super Bowl for them. Anyway, moo cow that. Laddie, go. We're going to go sports, food, sports, food, or food, sports, food, sports. Are you doing a food? I'm going to do a food one. Okay, do a food. Uh, what we learned, I'm not a huge breakfast guy, but I have all the time in the world for my favorite breakfast snack. It is National Croissant Day. <laughs> Stop! I could have dropped my croissant! <laughs> Croissant. Croissant. It is the national days for everything, and it's about time we give the croissant the respect that it it deserves. How do you honestly, pronounce it? I go croissant. I say croissant. I say croissant. If my I want to get fancy, my dad I go used croissant. to drive me croissant. croissant. My dad used to drive me crazy. He would be like, "We're having croissant." <laughs> I'm like, oh, I can't. You say cro- croissants. The older yeah. I get, y'all have any the, of them croissants around? <laughs> the older I get, the more letters I drop off it. So basically, now it's like it's like remember when Pierre Lebrun used to say Jonathan Drouin? Yeah. And eventually it was like Jonathan. <laughs> right. So now with sound croissant is now croissant. <laughs> <wasal. laughs> Um, the first croissant I ever had was, uh, I remember, I remember it like it was, yesterday. I do. Do you remember the bread garden? 
Oh man, yeah. I love that place. Does it oh. not exist anymore? It was right I by don't. the movie theater in Park and Tilford. Yeah, oh, okay. Well, yeah. the the original Bread Garden was in Kitsilano, um, near kind of near the Broad Street Bridge, and it was incredible. The first time I ever had one, when I was a kid. I was like. I want these forever. Yeah, what are these things? And that is now one of those foods where, you know, you say like, um, how many of these do you think you could eat? I'd be like, as many as I could. Keep them yeah. coming. Right? That's why a big grocery sells them in like six and eight packs now. Mm-hmm. Like, you fat bastard. Bruff would you be home. You go, to Costco, you go to Costco, you can get them in like 20 packs. Yeah. Bruff would be Homer in hell. He'd be just like, keep them coming. I yeah, take, with I, the donuts? I, I take this challenge. Oh, yeah, they are so good. And I don't like to dress them up too much. Like no. sometimes you, you and and put them in the oven too. Mm. Not not the uh, not the microwave because then they'll get all soft. You want them a little crispy. Flaky, it's a, it's a flaky. Like it's it's a messy eat sometimes. But mm. I'm glad it really appealed to you with my croissant. What we learned. Yeah, it's about like I when I think about a croissant versus a McRib. <laughs> what if? What if you take close. off? The, yeah, exactly. However, knows where I'm going here. McRib <laughs> patty into a croissant. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> anyway, if I go to Timmy's, I'll I'll ask for my. Uh, Breakfast sandwich in a croissant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's very good. The good yeah. call on that one. Yeah. Who knows? Tim Hortons is the height of baked goods. Breakfast <laughs> is a Tim Hortons snob. Um, okay, moo cow that croissant. Speaking of Tim Hortons, I saw so, Americans refer to Timbits as donut holes, and that bugs me so much. Like, is there an uglier phrase for what those little delicious things are called? Look, eat donut holes. Give me like, one no, of, they're Timbits. Give me yeah. one of them. They're Timbits. Give me one of them holes. Yeah, it just say. doesn't sound appetizing. Okay, uh, I got breaking news from the Premier League. Uh, you know what they're going to do with VAR next season? Scrap it? No, they're going to make the referees announce and explain their decision to the fans. Oh, kind yeah, of rugby? Yeah, they're finally going that route. They got a trial program at club games in Mexico and Portugal. They just announced it right now. So we're going to get the... Do you think there's one referee that's like, I hate public speaking. <laughs> I'm very nervous. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, so there's that. Mukau that. We're banging through these because I want to do the baseball one. So we got a, the the Seattle Mariners have completely rehauled their roster. They they just traded for Jorge Polanco, having previously made a bunch of trades. They brought Hanniger back, Robbie Reyes. Oh, they made a bunch of moves. This Mariners love bringing guys back. Yeah, know. yeah. And I don't know about this Polanco move. He's a good second baseman, but he's thirty, and like his best years were about five years ago. Well, the Jays just signed a guy who's thirty nine. So okay, thirty is so. There's the other young. one. Uh, I guess the bigger news of the day, and we'll probably get inundated with it because it is the Toronto Blue Jays and all that, but Justin Turner, who everyone knows because he's got a very distinctive look to him and he's had a bunch of postseason success having played with the Dodgers most recently. Uh, he is now a member of the Toronto Blue Jays. Is that finalized, Laddie? It's, I don't think it's final, final, but the Blue Jays beat reporters are starting to report it as pretty much done. One-year deal with the Jays. Uh, Jeez, it's going to be close to thirteen million dollars for that one year. So good on Justin Turner. Is he is he a DH now? I don't know what he's going to do. He, he moved around. He played a lot of first base last year. Right. They might use him a little bit at third. They shouldn't use him at third. You but, know why? I know you don't like the move because you were saying at the break you're not a fan no. of this at all. He did like hit the ball well last year. Mm-hmm. He had a career high in RBI. I think it was like ninety six RBI. And look, one of the many things that went wrong with the Jays last year was they just weren't producing runs, right? And so I get this. If you can bring a bat in and a guy that hit like historically well, I like, guess we're not talking about five years ago totals. He had ninety six RBI last year, so at mm-hmm. least there's recent proof of concept. Yeah, like, how are you with runners in scoring position? Because yeah. we. Are terrible, but RBI is a stat to use it as a, a pre- know, precursor for what he's going to do with the Jays. Like, and they're going to have him hitting cleanup. Probably, does this seem like a playoff team to you? 
with Justin Turner at DH and he's got Kiner Falefa at third base. Like, does that know, scream like, MLB playoff? Excuse me, Justin Turner, Otani. Like yeah. to me, yeah, they're the same. Win win, right? Either yeah. one. Uh, Turner is going to be their DH, and they're also saying he's going to serve as a backup to Vladdy at first. Base. Okay, give us a Mukau because we got to get to the yeah. last one. Go. Well, we got to print out the submissions. Sorry, All the administrative so nonsense. Um, Halford and Bruff, What We Learns, Humanoid Edition, brought to you by Get Fire Plan. Protect what matters most with comprehensive fire safety plans. Monthly audits and risk mitigation at $200 off. Visit them at GetFirePlan.com. Oh, my God! We're having a fire plan! Okay, let's go. Humanoids, go. Uh, Colin and Tawasin, what we learned, Victor Wemba and Yama, was Connor Bedard's current height, 5'10", when he was nine years old. Yeah. That must have been quite the grade four class picture. Did you see this yesterday? No, I so see- I don't know who was doing the uh, content farm that was putting the first overall pick in the NBA draft and the first overall pick in the NHL draft together, but the video went viral yesterday. Mm-hmm. So Bedard said, I'm 5'10 now. What age were you when you were 5'10? And amazingly... Uh, Wembenya first did the conversion to metric right away. He's like, so 1.87 meters. I'm like, wow, this guy's good. <laughs> and then he's like, I was nine. And then they panned to Connor Bedard, and he's like, well, that makes me feel good. <laughs> Wasn't that at the start of the year they did that meetup? No, I don't, just know, went viral I don't know if it's going viral now or if they did like a 2.0 version mm. or maybe they're releasing the content like on a monthly maybe. basis. You know, you, hey, I play, having been in the content game before, sometimes you want to spread it out. Milk it. Milk it for all you it's worth. Do you think still gets people coming up to him on the streets and be like, wow, you're tall? Oh, all the time. Yeah. All the time. You're like, And he'd be like, I was watching, uh, they came, God, some of the stuff that comes across Instagram. There was a video of a guy, and he's like, What it's like living life as a tall person. He's like, I get people coming up to me all the time asking how tall I am. And then the big reveal was, was it he was six foot three. <laughs> what? I'm like, this is blatant. I don't even know if it's advertising. That's not true. I'm taller than that. I don't get it that much. I'm like, who's, t- who's asking you? Where do you live? Yeah. Are you, are you, are, are you in like, stool with munchkins all the time like, what's going on here what was it gulliver's yeah like what's going on the six foot three is so overwhelming that they have to ask you about it all the time slightly off topic but yeah. this video i want to play a little clip from it uh kevin harlan the way he says Wembenyama, uh-huh. he's just made to to be an announcer for Wembenyama. He's so good at it. Like, it just rolls off the tongue to him. It's, uh, it's great. I have, you know what? I haven't watched a ton of Wemby games. I, I was, I think, remiss in pointing this out last week that when Joel Embiid went for 70, that was on Wemby and the Spurs. Right. Yeah. So he's having a tough go of it. D up. Little, little, little D up. Little. As you know, I'm, he's not having a tough go of it. He's playing very well. Uh, Matt, not on the island. What we learned, I learned that if the first two weeks of April are the best in sports, then this next 10 days or so may be the worst. I ended up watching a blowout Trailblazers game against the 76ers with no Embiid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I watched I, it too. I, I said earlier in the show that uh, I did something uh, that I rarely do, and that's watch an NBA game. Last night was actually like, I watched it in the playoffs, but yeah. regular season, I was like, Denver and Milwaukee are playing. Hey, those are two good teams. It was a pretty good game. Doc Rivers' first game in charge of the box. He kind of sat there and watched everything go down. He complained about a foul call on Brooke Lopez. Uh, so he was getting into it. By the way, I found out more. You know, you're talking about you don't like the, you know, you, 
home teams should wear dark jerseys or light jerseys or like, whatever. Uh, uh, yeah, NBA home teams wear white jerseys. So um, I never even liked it when the NHL went away from it. Because I know you're a big fan of Jimmy Butler and Heat culture and all that mm-hmm. stuff. The Heat actually only wear the whites at the end of the year to kind of build momentum for the playoffs because they do like a whiteout. They're, they're also obligated to do certain amounts of the other jerseys. So they have to do them early in the season yep. and then then get yeah Ju- justin and east van we're all watching different stuff with uh-huh. the canucks not playing for a while what we learned i watched the alexander dig chosen one sports doc last night he was a projected quote-unquote generational talent that didn't pan out but ultimately found some success in europe are there any current high profile nfl nhl drafted players that might have a career path similar to Diggs. I don't know about right now. I mean, you got see, I don't know if we'll ever have another dynamic like the Alexander Digg one because um, he was proclaimed as the next great one, right? And uh, there was the sort of like rock star celebrity element Mm -hmm. to him as well, right? And then... He never really showed all that much like his rookie season he had 51 points in 84 games for just a terrible ottawa team mm-hmm. and then he had one season a couple of years later where he had 26 goals which was a career high but like in the nhl he never showed it so some people i, I know <laughs> the might crazy be part tempted. is he's not a bust oh, a sec. in the traditional sense yeah he was a yeah he was a bust though it, some people might be tempted right now to kick Patrick Liney when when he's down, and uh, you know we've we've mentioned that he's gone into the uh, NHL NHLPA Players Assistance Program, but Liney like showed a remarkable yeah. ability yep. and like had incredible results early in his career. Like he wasn't, so I wouldn't consider him at all like Alexander Digg. I think with Patrick Liney just. Something happened in his life. Uh, we all go through through things in life, and Patrick Laine is going through it right now. The thing with Dig is like he never launched, and people might say the same thing about a guy like Yakupov, but yeah. Yakupov didn't have even close to the same hype as no, Alexander no, Dig. That's like, what like, I'm talking about. Yeah, there was like, there was a whole second element where he was more than just a hockey player. He was, I mean, I, I hate using rock star because it makes me sound like I'm from the 80s or something like that. But there was that element of celebrity with him, with Dig. It was like if Sid didn't pan out, basically. Right. You know? Yeah, no, that's fair. Because, I mean, that that was it. And then you look at more recent first overall picks, and the only one that's come remotely close, I'd say, in the last, I mean, in terms of hype, there was McDavid and there was Bedard, right? I mean, what would, mm-hmm. I mean, was there anyone else that, People are like, oh, your eye Slavkovsky looks like he might be a bust in March. I'm like, yeah, but that wasn't a consensus slam dunk generational talent first overall pick. Everyone was kind of surprised when he went first overall, right? right? So they're like, who? <laughs> yeah, are you doing that for real? And then that's also, I mean, that's a whole other conversation about prospect development and how you treat your play, young players and all that. So. Uh, I wanted to read this one from Spence in Maple Ridge. It's not a what we learned, but I'm going to read it anyway. Okay. We always talk about the progression of a team making the playoffs and learning lessons and then making the next jump. We talk about the losses to Chicago as learning opportunities before the 2011 run. But what about that Blackhawks team? They had missed the playoffs five years in a row before upsetting the Canucks and going to the conference final then winning the cup the next season. 
turning the ship and becoming a winner right away can be done. Yep. Um, yeah, it, it can. I think it probably should be noted that to actually get that cup, they had to go out and get Marion Hosa. And and he helped a lot. So that year, though, are the Canucks. I, that, but but that maybe the year, year before they went to the conference final, um, did they beat the Flames along the way? I want to say or that they, that first year that he's talking about, um, they went, they beat the Flames in the first round, then they beat the Canucks in the second round, and, and then, then, they, then lost they lost to Detroit. Detroit. Yeah. Right. yeah, and yeah. that was where Detroit was like had a, still had all like the lineage of like Hall of Famers and everything where it was like okay that's the team to beat mm-hmm. but i remember that team that was also the year where they fired uh Denny Savard 3 games into the and season brought in Q. right so like it was uh there were at the beginning of the year there were no expectations they're like this thing's going off the rails we got to get rid of Denny Savard it's so bad mm-hmm. right and then lo and behold they made a, a pretty good run in the playoffs and that was a weird team Right? I mean, you want to talk about the origin story. It was Habby Boulin and Cristobal Huey and Nett. And it was Martin Havlat was their leading scorer. So, yeah, it can be done. These teams can come out of nowhere and go on a bit of a run. I'd like to see one this spring, as a matter of fact. Okay, music means we got to go. Thank you all for listening. It's been fun. We got to get out of here for today. But we will be back tomorrow. Signing off, I have been Mike Alford. He's been Jason Bruff. He's been A-Dog. And he's been Laddie. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.